we'll get rolling. So the way that this podcast usually starts is we'll uh, uh, get <clears throat> we'll kick off with the love dare. So yeah. Josiah, you ready? Yeah, yeah. So as listeners to the podcast know, uh, you know. Jared and I have been going through a rough patch as co-hosts, so we've been uh, been working our way through the evangelical marriage advice counseling book, The Love Dare, um, and we're on uh, day 16, Love Intercedes. Uh, it starts with Third uh, John 2, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Today's Aww. dare... Begin praying today for your spouse's heart or co-host's heart. Pray for three specific areas where you desire for God to work in your spouse's life and in your marriage. Uh, so de- today I, I prayed <laughs> that uh, you know we could get back into making episodes that have a theme or at least some sort of structure. Uh, I prayed that I will get less drunk on episodes so that will strengthen the podcasts. And I prayed that Jared will one day accept the immortal truth of Marxism-Leninism and also Catholicism, which I don't believe are contradictory, and I will stonewall anyone who tries to argue with me about that. That's been the love, Jared. All right. Well, you know, (laughs) miracles happen. Um, When you said three areas of the heart, I thought it was supposed to be like left ventricle, aorta, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are having issues too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so if I go silent a... at any point. Yeah. Well, right. speaking of left ventricles of the heart, we have a, a very special guest <laughs> on here with us today. Absolutely. <laughs> that was such a good segue. Um, Eureka dude. College's <laughs> own Dr. Zeke Jarvis, um, known for being a professor at Eureka College. <laughs> I think that he's written a few things. Um, I do own a signed book by him, so I'm waiting uh, waiting for that to go up in value so I can hit eBay. But <laughs> it's one of the few few guests that you can Google. I think we've had on, and like some stuff comes up, right? And it's not just like a criminal record. <laughs> I like that you say just, uh, Jared. It's not just a criminal record. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's criminal record alongside some nice poetry. I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it actually inspired a lot of the work. <laughs> the criminal worker. <laughs> it feeds <laughs> off each other. <laughs> Jared, I think I have a, a book of yours that you signed as well, actually. So that pretty much puts us on the same level. I <laughs> would um, <laughs> I'm I am pretty much an English professor. Um, with the book that I, I self-published mm-hmm. and have signed. You you know, one day, one day, I'm gonna read it. I, yeah, I do I, own I, it. I gave you a free copy, a free copy of didn't my you, book. Didn't you give me a copy of your book as a, like a Christmas present? Wasn't it that? No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that I would give you something for Christmas. Oh, by the way, your your Christmas present for me arrived, but it, it's at my parents' oh, nice. place, so I haven't seen ah. it. But my dad slipped oh, and said, uh, the t-shirt you ordered arrived. And I was like, uh, yeah. so I didn't know that's what it was. But uh, so I'll, I'll go to with, my parents' place and says, pick it what it says, it's a lot funnier that your dad thinks that you ordered it. That says a lot <laughs> okay. about how okay. he thinks you think about yourself. Yeah. Well, hopefully by next episode, I'll have something to say about that. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out <laughs> what the t-shirt is. Is the next podcast love dare going to be that you actually read Jared's book, Josiah? Oh yeah, that's the next dare. 
Right. It's, it's short like, enough, right? It's pretty short. It's super short. And frankly, I only wrote half of it. Oh, yeah. Who wrote? <laughs> did, did what? Rose? Rose write the other half? Rose wrote uh, a quarter of it. And then mm. another girl, Savannah, wrote another quarter of it. I see. Um, wow. Yeah. So All right. you know, I, I, I got away pretty easy there. That's good. Let's go ahead and uh, introduce the show so we can get moving. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Very Legal, Very Cool, an episode about two published authors and also Josiah. <laughs> I don't think it's good. <laughs> nice, nice. Drinking uh, zero day zero hour rye barrel aged barley wine from West Hill Brewing Company, which is a very tiny brewery uh, in the town that my college is in. Um, and my my roommate works at that brewery and got me some some barley wine, and it's very good. You know that he drank two full bottles of that. Okay, over let's the years. not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Just by himself. You guys had some. <laughs> what are you drinking, Jared? <laughs> I, I am drinking a uh, a Coke. Oh, okay. Uh, brewed in... <laughs> I don't actually know where they brew Coke. <laughs> or make Coke. <laughs> where it's, like, grown in a lab. <laughs> I'm not sure where that happens. Um, Atlanta. But it's local. I, I'm it's even less interesting. I'm actually just drinking water. Yeah, that's... Well, healthy. Josiah, healthy. that makes you the, the alcoholic in this I situation. really don't like that. Kind of like New Year's. Mm. <laughs> I thought New Year's was great. Oh man! Well, right. we'll we we can uh, we can talk about that throughout. Oh um, good! I'm glad we have that set up. As as I'm sure you'll enjoy, but you know, on to on to our guest. Um, you know, Zeke. I'm just gonna keep calling you Doctor Jarvis. All right. Zeke does not feel right. I, I I haven't made it that far. Maybe towards the end of the episode, we'll be closer there. Um, mm. But I'm going to ease myself into it. So maybe yeah. I'll start with Dr. Jarvis and then yeah. some way midway I'll get to like Dr. Zeke and then, hey, you, you know, we'll we'll yeah. play it by ear. Yeah. So I was never cool. let into this power dynamic. So I'm going to stick with bro or dude, um, if that's I'm cool. Good. I am I am a big Lebowski fan. So dude. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Fantastic. So, dude, can you tell us about yourself? <laughs> Yes, uh, I am a professor of English at Eureka College. Uh, mainly I teach creative writing, uh, though I also teach literature, composition, um, various gen ed things, and also um, a writer of fiction. I have um, four books. The first was uh, a collection of introductions to poems, but there were no accompanying poems. It's just if you've ever been to a poetry <laughs> reading, you know that like, introductions to poems are almost always longer than the poems themselves and sometimes are more interesting than the poems themselves so this is that's the one i've got a signed copy of that sounds really good actually um which actually uh it's gone out of print so maybe it will uh, up in value and in 2022 it's going to be re-released by a new um new publisher so the original run will be crazy valuable at that point 
See, I'm go. I'm expecting. I mean, I'm I'm needing you to do some pretty big things with your career here soon, so I can get a return on investment on Eureka College. Mm, there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I'm counting on you, man. It, yeah, it, world fame. You can figure that out pretty quick. Um, I've been counting on me too, and I've been really disappointed <laughs> with the performance. You could take the uh, the the Ted Kaczynski route to fame. I think that would be a, a pretty effective route. You know, I was a uh, math major as an undergrad, and at, <laughs> at UW Madison, they had a paper uh, in the math library that was written by uh, Ted yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the du- dude was very smart. He was. I have two collections of uh, short stories, and then uh, last May came out with my first novel, uh, which was a young adult novel about um, three disabled characters. Uh, one of the disabilities was hemiplegic cerebral palsy, which is what my daughter has. So, oh, wow. That's you're great. kind of looking around at the YA genre and saw there was not a lot of representation of disability. So I decided I would write a novel myself. That's great. That's awesome. All right. Um, well, <clears throat> all of our all of our mean-spirited questions seem really, uh, really in poor taste <laughs> after that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but in spirit of the podcast, we're going to persist. <laughs> so, so, I mean, our first question was, have you ever written a book? Uh, Dr. Mr. Professor of literature. Um, and you've already answered that. So we'll, uh, we'll move on. Do you, do you regret becoming a professor? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that um, any field you go into seems like it sucks like 50% of the time. And then if you look at a different field, you're like, oh, no, it could be worse. So, you know, I've had some pretty rough jobs over the course of my life. And uh, every now and then I'll think about like working in the cardboard corrugation factory. And I'll think, yeah, uh, being a professor is better than that one. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, so, I mean, if you had the opportunity, though, to to talk to, say, a young history grad who is not quite a grad, but is looking to become a professor, and you had maybe one chance to talk him out of it, would you do it? Uh, I have a friend who teaches at a school in Georgia, and he does, you know, in Fight Club, how they have to stand on the porch for three days? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kind of his approach, is to, like, be discouraging, and if the person still really wants to go into academia, then they want it badly enough. And if you're able to discourage them, then, you know, they were meant to be discouraged. So. Yeah. That's, that's how all of my, uh, all of my professors have been to me. So that's kind of why I'm sure I probably will end up in academia. (laughs) All right. Well, you've got an opportunity here to pile on. um, So. Well, here, if you want me to be discouraging, here's a little um, exercise you can do. Go on higherjobs.com and take a look at the listings for tenure track uh, professorships. Then look at how many PhDs get granted in any year. And uh, that's probably the most <laughs> discouraging thing you can do in terms of thinking about a career in academia. Okay. There you go, good. Josiah. Yeah. Sounds Something like to think about. Work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the important question that uh, I'm sure that all of your fans have been wondering: Did you actually jack off in the Reagan Museum? Yeah, that's what we've been thinking about. Well, 
let me start by saying I don't have actual fans, so there's a flaw in your question. But <laughs> uh, no, I did not. That was uh, fictitious. Uh, well, that makes my uh, you know wanting to fit in in college really weird. Then, um, <clears throat> I mean, if you if Jared, did you ever go to the Reagan Museum at Eureka? I I did uh, on the tour in the beginning. Yes. It's not a place that really um, leads one to be aroused, you know? Right. Well, that's why it was so impressive, right? Right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what made you the rock star professor of Eureka College, is, you know. Not only did you jack off in the Reagan Museum, but you were aroused enough in the Reagan Museum to do it. <laughs> I had my troublemaking days. <laughs> Well, that that actually leads into our uh, our follow up. Uh, if not, do you wish that you had? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I guess technically that door's not not closed yet. Um, yeah, you you're, you're still there, so <laughs> probably the biggest uh, uh, trouble that I made at Eureka was um, my first year teaching. I was teaching a workshop course, and somebody had written a story in which. Uh, a character breaks a TV screen. And so we were talking about, like, if that's something you could just do with your fist. And I was trying to suggest that I don't think you really could do it with your fist on, you know, I mean, now you probably could, but I'm not so much. Right. And so one of my students who was a um, theater major said, you know, there is a TV behind the theater right now if we wanted to do a field trip. <laughs> My first reaction was, no, 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 we can't do this. I'm going to get fired. No, no, no. And by the end of class, they had kind of worn me down. And so we went there and um, we pulled a plank of wood out of the dumpster and we're taking turns smacking the um, TV screen. <laughs> <laughs> after, after about 10 minutes of this which by the way i'm convinced that you couldn't do it with your fist with that particular model uh after about 10 minutes of this um one of the staff members started coming over and all of my students turned to them and yelled we're doing research <laughs> he just kind of smiled his head and walked away <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about that's right. A, that's right. <laughs> For context, in uh oh yeah, we'd probably give context with that. <laughs> the... Would you like to give some context for this one? Oh, oh, right. Uh, yeah. For so, for the listeners who may not have who may not be familiar with your work, in my first book, uh, the introductions to poems. There's a imaginary poem called "Jerking Off in the Reagan Museum," and it's. <laughs> The introduction kind of explains that this is about how the 80s were a very masturbatory decade, which they really, really were. It was, you know, the me decade. Uh, and so Reagan is such a huge figure of the 80s that the idea of jerking off in the Reagan Museum seemed um, appropriately inappropriate. Uh, and there's a line about the trickle down theory, which seemed pretty natural for the material. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's great. So, uh, would you consider yourself a regular or hardcore Reaganite? <laughs> um, neither. <laughs> well, will, they, will fire... they fire you if you speak or <laughs> if you speak out against Reagan? Yeah, uh, you know, I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, there was a X Factor comic, and 
in the storyline, Reagan was signing into legislation um, that mutants had to register with the government. They had to, you know, come out of the closet. And there was a panel where I believe he was wearing his cowboy hat while signing the legislation. I just thought that was a very well observed. <laughs> 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 Uh, Fantastic. Well, uh, uh, have, you, you've been quiet. Yeah, yeah. Have the students gotten worse over the years? No. Um, I think that I probably have a unique perspective because my daughter's in high school right now. Mm. Um, and so, like, I see exactly why the students have expectations that they do and like what what they're thinking as they approach assignments uh, by the way that she's given assignments in high school. But, um, you know, it's not that they're worse. It's very much that, uh, well, I think there are two things. The first is that, like, professors get older. And so (laughs) when I first started teaching, I could, like, make a Simpson reference and the students would get it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I haven't watched a new Simpsons episode in a decade myself. So, like, just the kind of there's not the sort of overlap or connection that there would have been when I was a much younger man. Mm. Um, But some of it is just that, you know, they come from a very different background and context. And so, you know, the uh, way that we think about reading or the way that we think about uh, a particular instruction style or something like that is just not what their interface is. So Mm. I don't think students ever have sort of gotten worse. It's that, you know, um, as teachers and professors become more removed from the world that their students inhabit, probably there's just a little bit bigger gap there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I had a professor in uh, in college, a uh, political poli-sci professor, that whenever he made a reference to The Simpsons or something and people didn't get it, he would detour the class and load it up on YouTube <laughs> and make everyone watch the scene so we got the reference, which I usually got the reference, but I, that was pretty right. funny. It just turned into 50% of the class watching The Simpsons or Futurama, but... This makes me feel really old because I've done that um, with my <laughs> yeah. team at work. Like, <laughs> I'm 24 and I've got Zoomers on my team and I'll still pull up YouTube and it's like, how do you not know this? The, uh, yes. That professor was making a very specific pedagogical choice to only have to teach 50% of the class. Yes, yeah, that <laughs> is definitely him. That is definitely Actually, we should totally try to get Paul Bird on here. He, he was great, but... <laughs> Talk about the Simpsons. Perfect. Uh, uh, so, uh, so what are your plans after college? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe like three, four years ago now, I was uh, working out fairly regularly at the gym at Eureka. Mm-hmm. And I remember after- that I was working out at the same time for <laughs> just a few weeks, and I was like, "Wow, he goes to the gym a lot." Yeah, it's shocking. It turns that- out. <laughs> It's shocking that a big fat man like me goes to the gym. But uh, So this custodian uh, would stop and talk to me every now and then. And after a couple of years, he said to me, so when are you graduating anyway? <laughs> I kind of chuckled because I thought he was joking, but it turns out he really thought I was a student. <laughs> there, was a, there was a psychology professor I knew a while back who um, she looked way younger than she was. And so first day of class, she would sit in the like sit in the seats and then like let it go until like 10 minutes into class and get into the conversation of everybody being like, where is the professor? And then she would stand up and then like start teaching the class. 
I I did that one semester in graduate school, and I even turned to one of the students and said, "Hey, have you heard anything about this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that heard sounds he like sucks, a real gamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've heard this guy sucks, man. <laughs> um, I think last question we probably have. Uh, so what conspiracy theory do you like 100% buy into? Um, just the general conspiracy that like the system really is rigged, not in a Donald Trumpy way, but just that, mm. you know, um, social mobility is very very difficult and very limited in america and that you know systems really are built to sort of um prevent change uh, as opposed to enable change so i don't know if that counts as a conspiracy theory but uh that is one that i absolutely believe i i would say one one of the hosts here would say that's just common sense and the other would consider that a conspiracy theory <laughs> I feel I feel like you're uh, you're now assigning all sorts of different uh, ideas to me that I that I may or may not hold. My my follow up is is do you think that the the systems are designed this way intentionally or that they na- or that they just become this way over time? Like you have a system that sits long enough. And over time, it just starts screwing everyone over. I think that initially it is designed that way. And then people actually forget or don't know that it's designed that way. And so they think that it's a fundamentally fair system, but that in its yeah. initial, um, you know, initial construction, it was built very specifically to uh, prevent certain freedoms or to mm-hmm. uh, limit any kind of change. Yeah. But in America... Where we have nothing but freedom. Are you, are you telling? Are you me a talking bunch about of, here? A bunch of slave owners drafted a constitution that you have the freedom to die of four different things. So that's yeah, yeah. yeah but we did. We just really didn't want to pay taxes. Let's see how that turned yeah. out. That's what it was about. Oh my god. <laughs> The thing is, there would be some people who would hear that and be like, well, yeah. <laughs> it still <laughs> yeah, is I, a primary movie. That's all it was. It's, it's all about religious freedom. I read about freedom. the Tea Party. That's, that's what it was. So culture and, uh, you know, art, is it connected? Who's to say? (laughs) That sounds like a conspiracy. (laughs) I wish there was a theory about how material conditions manifest within the culture. Is there there a theory about that, Jared? (sighs) Honestly, who's to say? I I think uh, a good question to, uh, to lead us off, especially considering that, you know, Dr. Professor Zeke Jarvis has um, started with a math degree and then found himself here. Um, Is there a reason that anybody should study anything outside of STEM? Yeah. Um, Well, the events of, so recording this on January 7th, the events of yesterday, I would say, yes. 
<laughs> but do we think that they studied STEM? Well, that's a fair point. Uh, probably they studied like how chicken gizzards fall and use that to find the future. Um, so, but I do think so. As somebody who majored in math, I do kind of feel like both math and English are understanding how systems work, tracking patterns, and being able to think abstractly once you get into the higher levels of math. So um, mm -hmm. probably there is like a STEM program which could be infused with uh, good critical thinking. But the problem with um, only studying STEM is it's it's not even that it's STEM. It's that it's so like um, career centric that, you know, mm. it doesn't encourage you to put anything into context so yeah at this point yeah. a lot of it is becoming like a trade almost yes which not necessarily that like trades are bad by any means but like yeah i mean there was a point when like math was part of like the 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 basic arts you were supposed to understand it was like contextualized things were related in some way i don't <clears throat> know yeah i will say or go ahead no you go ahead jared Oh, my thing was dumb. I was just going to say, I did make it through all of all four years at Eureka College without taking a math class. Nice. And Good not job. because I came in with any credits. I did not. Um, they just counted programming as math. Um, oh. And it was really easy. I took well, stat. We've, we've shaken up the um, gen ed curriculum since then. So now, oh, really? I think, yeah, somebody could theoretically get through... Um, without a math specific course but oh wow who needs it who needs it <laughs> well Where, when does math ever ever come up in life right i'm not gonna mm. go to mathlandia so why do i need to learn mm. math ever right <clears throat> all those letters and numbers yeah so so what do you, what extent do we think like uh the events of yesterday are driven specifically by um I guess culture is a broad term, but is there something behind the idea that literature, movies, whatever, play a part in creating something like uh, a very pathetic coup attempt or I don't know? Well, to go back to like my abject terror at the 80s, uh, I think that people have consumed a lot of narratives about how um, the person from outside the system, the small band of people can overtake these terrible, terrible, awful, corrupt systems. And so like so many um, folks that we regard as heroes, so many fictional characters that we regard as heroes are, you know, hey, I'm going to tear down the system and that's how I mm, enact good. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you have that many iterations of this storyline and this kind of character arc, I think it does sort of make you feel like, if I'm going down and blowing shit up, that means I'm on the good guy's side. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in in Corey Robbins' uh, book about like conservative thinking, he has an essay where he talks about like he gets really into how much um, Anthony Scalia was infatuated with Jack Bauer from Twenty Four. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I think that's a really <laughs> fascinating way of looking at things because that's that's the trope of like the uh, the conservative everyman who kind of takes things over. Right, in that, like, somehow this one person is qualified to know everything, you know, in mm. that they're automatically smarter than um, experts in the field and so forth, so. Yeah. One of the things I like about the show Elementary is that even though Sherlock Holmes is this genius, like, he farms out anything that's sort of a specialization. So if there's a math episode, he's going to go contact a math professor 
Um, you know, yeah. he has friends who are into this or that. And so like he's, he knows beekeeping and he knows other scientific things, but he knows that he doesn't know an awful lot and knows how to contact people who do know that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even outside of, outside of fiction, I feel like more and more we're seeing that in real life where we have these like personality cults almost around people like Elon Musk, I think would be a good example. You know, he's Jesus. This, you know, super genius who knows how to do every single thing. And he's he's out there designing <laughs> rockets and building electric cars and, you know, making single car holes through the earth. In, but yeah, <laughs> well, because I think that's yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing culturally, because it, it is that we do, I think, recognize experts. But when we recognize an expert, we think they're like a universal expert in all topics. And I think that's like mm-hmm. a, a good example of that is how Sam Harris has become a philosopher. Um, I I mean, as a as my 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 two degrees are history and philosophy. I, I find Sam Harris to be an insufferable person, and and one of those is just because like his expertise within psychology and within neuroscience can make like some philosophical claims, but he moves on to making like ethics and like getting into the, the realm of ethics, and it just. You know, just because you're an expert in one field doesn't make you an expert in every field. And I think we have a hard time with that. Yeah, there's there's certainly an assumption, I think, that if you're good at something, that means that you have something that makes you good at it. Mm-hmm. And it's something innate and that it applies across the board, which yeah. is, I think, how a lot of people see, you know, people like Elon Musk. Some people see Trump that way um, and so on. And it's basically this <laughs> this idea that if you're really good at stuff, you were born that way. And there's there's nothing that that can take that away from you how do you get to a point you think trump is that that's fascinating to me still like at least elon (laughs) musk made some stuff right (laughs) at least he gave us paypal (laughs) oh god (laughs) elon musk he kind of is a fictional character because the story is that he like he created all this out of nothing and like that's not true at all (laughs) he was the singular genius behind tesla that's not true at all so you know uh he is kind of a fictional character i think what happens in when somebody's good at business we still haven't completely freed ourselves from like this english monarchy view of the world where money is associated with like god is smiled upon you and so you assume Mm -hmm. that like elon musk must be good if he's this big quote-unquote success and i think that's where people start to think that like well he must be good at this too Mm -hmm. right well and yeah and he's i'm actually surprised that we've never actually talked about elon musk like as a as a point on on this podcast we we have very briefly talked about him there's so much to dive into there because he's interesting because he i mean at one point he he kind of was that right like in his early startups the uh i don't remember what it was called but it was basically a, a map routing thing like a map quest mm-hmm. um and then from there into paypal like for both of those you know he was the the lead and like the only engineer mm-hmm. um so he was you know by all regards then like a, a genius programmer um and his success in business is just that he's him very much like trump recognizes that the a lot of the rules only exist as much as they're enforced Mm-hmm. And they're really not as enforced as much as we think they are. Yeah. And that in and of itself, I think, is another another thing that's pushed the boundaries in these last 
few years where people are realizing that these systems and rules and laws that we have in place, they're not actually real. They're spooks. Yeah. Eric, you probably have heard me tell this story before, but um, and I think that, uh, well, at some point at UW-Madison, there was a story where mm-hmm. this group of guys went into the student union in broad daylight, wheeled out a piano. The way they got mm-hmm. away with it was everybody who watched them do it was like, well, they must be supposed to be doing this. Nobody would steal a piano and block the whole thing, and it actually worked. And so right. um, I think that there is, and maybe this goes back to culture, maybe we've watched too many Avenger movies and assumed that, like, well, Iron Man or Batman or somebody would come and stop this awful guy mm-hmm. if, if he was supposed to be stopped. Like, we really don't step in and make the obvious stops of, no, you shouldn't storm the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. if you grab a clipboard, you can go anywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. I mean, there I don't is. Know. Um, I, I'm really interested by the idea of of, of what you said earlier, um, Jarvis. The the um, Elon Musk isn't really real. Uh, I, I I kind of like. I'm interested by that idea, like that that he's almost like a literary trope in a way. So do mm. you have more you could say on that, or? Well, um, there's. I, I don't. I guess I don't want to get too eggheady, but like, there's this idea. No, go that, for it. Um, before you even open the first page of a Stephen King book, you already like have tossed on a bunch of assumptions mm. about what the book is going to be, and so you're not reading the book cold. You're reading the Stephen King book, and because of who Stephen King is, you're already interacting with it in a very specific way. And Elon Musk is kind of the same way in that, like, both the people who like him and the people who hate him. Uh, as soon as he says something, like you're seeing it as an Elon Musk quote. When he does mm-hmm. something, you're mm-hmm. seeing it as an Elon Musk action. And so, like, you're interacting with him in a way and uh, judging his actions in a way that's very much rooted in, like, this um, built up character that may or may not actually correlate to the actual Elon Musk who walks around during the day. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's inter- and especially for, for Elon Musk, because all of that for him is so intentional. Like if you yes. you know compare him to maybe Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, he certainly has a PR team that manages his image, right? But he doesn't he doesn't have this personality cult in the same way that um, that Elon Musk does. In fact, it almost seems like he tries to stay out of the news as much as he can, except when people are just saying how rich he is. Yes. Would we say that like that that desire to kind of become a literary archetype, um, e- either intentionally or you know we we project it onto them? It, that that kind of like implotment is that is that um, like brought about by media or is it just a natural cultural thing? I think um, it's a natural cultural thing. Or go ahead. Yeah, I mean it's probably a bit of both. Uh, so mm-hmm. I remember somebody asked Kim Kardashian midway through her career like why are you famous anyway and she thought about it for a minute and her response was because i have a big butt (laughs) like that was her rationale and so i think that there is something where um individuals recognize that like people like to talk about things and feel like they have some kind of you know hot take and so you can Mm. feed into that if you can sort of figure out how to do it um, effectively. And so like some of it is that our culture, you know, when I was younger, people would talk about like talking around the water cooler and that's not really how we talk anymore. Right now we talk on social media. And Mm -hmm. so what we refer to is much, much different. Um, 
So it kind of, I think some of it is cultural because it changes as the mediums that we use mm -hmm. to talk to each other changes. Uh, some of it probably is natural that like you want something big to think about. And so if you have a, a big mm -hmm. figure doing big things, then like it seems more interesting to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there, there's an advantage you know, on the other side, there's an advantage to creating that for an organization. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Elon Musk is again a great example of that. He lives for the PR. He's used it to, you know, clearly and obviously manipulate the stock market. Um, and he uses it to build his brand. You know, the the boring company is a great example. Um, you know, they're out there doing stuff and he he sold like a million dollars in hats. Yeah. And flamethrowers. Yeah. And like <laughs> Not at all related to, <laughs> to digging tunnels and shooting cars through them, Jesus but Christ. Um, he was he merchandised it because he recognizes that um, you know the most successful tech companies are also media companies, and the most Ooh. successful media companies have celebrities attached to them, mm. and he's that celebrity for Tesla, for SpaceX, and for all of his ventures because obviously it's a ton of people around him to do it but he's uh he's kind of figured out what makes people want to to have that cult following and that that loyalty to his to everything he does and it's more than just a product yeah 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 i mean to, to what point does it i mean i feel like this is kind of a rhetorical question because it's just kind of obvious that this is what's happening but like at, at what point does the brand become more important than the value that's getting produced by a company or by a government or whatever? Like it, it becomes so much about the boring company that there actually isn't anything happening materially anymore aside from the invention of t-shirts and hats or whatever, um, creating an archetype that we can all kind of be interested in. I think a Marxist would say that, you know, we're so kind of, um, alienated from what we actually produce or what we actually do that uh, that makes it harder to assign meaning and so like mm hat -hmm. has meaning because we're told that it has meaning as opposed to like hey, I built this house because I need to not freeze and die and so yeah. the idea of like what has value <clears throat> when it becomes more abstract and less immediate uh, it's easier to manipulate by folks like Elon Musk or Donald Trump mm -hmm. from a capitalist reading <laughs> Brand is everything. <laughs> Nothing matters beyond brand. Uh, and if you if you can create, I mean, if look at uh, you know, this is ultimately a failed example, but look at WeWork and how that all went down. I mean, and so yeah. this gigantic startup worth forty billion dollars, um, they start going through their um, their IPO process and. As they're going through, people actually start realizing that they've built a $40 billion valuation on nothing. They're losing money. They don't have a real product. All they do is buy real estate. And all of it is led by just this super flashy image of what they're offering and these rock star startup <laughs> guys and this these millions and millions of dollars of funding that SoftBank pumped into it. And then you actually get down to it and there's nothing there. And you know, the CEO, he walked out with like a billion dollar buyout. I think that there was a $1 million consult, no, it was like a hundred million dollar consultant salary um, mm. to help transition the company out. Like he didn't need anything. 
Yeah, it, he had a brand, and that's all that mattered. This makes me think. There's this old uh, episode of the show Better Off Ted, um, where the the corporation he works for is like pitching to get funding for this new like project or whatever, and they don't know what the project's going to be, so they just show up at the meeting and flash words dramatically like synergy and progress. Um, <laughs> I think we've kind of created a society that that's just kind of all it is. I I don't know. I know this is kind of like a kind of a cliche to point out at this point, but it's still depressing. I don't know. (laughs) Well, at one point, like brand would actually indicate some kind of quality. Like you knew this brand was going to last longer than a, a store brand or something like that. And I don't think that's really true anymore that, you know, <clears throat> again, there's this sort of idea of um, the image is the most important thing. And so, like, you know, the actual quality of the brand doesn't matter. It's not even it's not even just that the um, even if there is an actual product, not an empty product like you're talking about, brand mm-hmm. doesn't symbolize anything other than mm-hmm. what the brand means and like who buys the brand. Yeah, uh, right. I well, think I mean, the. So sorry. Um, I think the I think the brand uh, that that exists for this brand's sake is is made possible by that like cutting off between the two. Like um, there there's no I don't know. I I'm obviously kind of referencing Baudrillard. I think a lot through this, but the idea that we've just kind of reached to a point that we're like representing representations and it's just kind of devoid from the world as it exists. I don't know. Yeah, I th- I think a, a practical example of this is just going through any grocery store. Yeah. Like a million brands of things that are literally packaged in the same factory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all yeah, it's all about the brand. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was I mean, even that's a, what this a show is. Pretty right. We we are nothing yeah. but a brand. We are we are building a, a personality cult. Um, there was a startup a while back called Brandless, and their whole thing was. <laughs> They were one of the, they cut out the middleman, so they don't have branding. There's nothing, there's no branding on the stuff that they sell. There's nothing there. It was just the things themselves. They weren't necessarily any cheaper. Some of them were more expensive. It was really online only. And like there, there were, there was a brief period of like six months where a bunch of startups like that popped up and then they all disappeared because they had no brand, turns out. Yeah, Turns out well, you need to do some marketing. Um, well, yeah. well, so then there's there is like the literally brandless.com, and I, I remember that one specifically because it was so funny because it was so clearly a brand. It right. was just like the absence of brand being a brand. And I just like loaded up the website now, and it's pretty fucking funny because it's like you know here's all these like uh, like um, hygienic products, and it's like the morning routine bundle, the wind down bundle, and everything has this really nice minimalistic look. And it's like like mm-hmm. that's a brand. Like right. you you found a way to commodify the like b- the absence of a brand. <laughs> right. I think this actually um, the older I get, the more like unease i feel with the simpsons because i feel like don't know if we're doing anything ironically or not anymore yeah that Mm -hmm. idea of like i'm gonna enthusiastically support brandless brand and that's my brand from now on would be a very Mm -hmm. like ironic hipster kind of move that um you know then are you still doing it ironically or you know we just don't Mm -hmm. understand like the consequences or motivations for our actions anymore yeah right. as as irony poisoned of a podcast as this is i i do think that's why 
even if I wouldn't necessarily fully identify as a Marxist, I find that an appealing way to look at things because it kind of feels like, well, let's, let's look at materially what's happening. Like whether or not you say this is a joke or not, like, are you actively causing harm? Then, mm-hmm. then you're causing harm. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter if it's joking. It's just a prank, harm. bro. Yeah, bro. it's not. It's just a prank. <laughs> well, I mean, or or we did that episode on on Wall Street bets, right? Yeah. And it's like people ironically losing life fortunes, and that's not at that point. That's not irony. You're just being an idiot. Physiological experiments and sacrilege in the name of public good. They taught me everything, just like a daddy should. And you were beautiful and vulnerable and power and success. Goddamn, I fell for you. Your flame, the words, your tunnels, and your tech. I studied code because I wanted to do something great like you. And the real tragedy is half of it was true. But we've been fucking mean. We're elitist. We're as flawed as any church. And this faux red West Coast dogma has a higher fucking network than the apple because I trusted you. Do you or somebody you love struggle with boredom, apathy, fear of missing out? Well, boy, oh boy, do we have the cure for you today. We've brought on a new and exciting guest, an up-and-coming author, Dr. (laughs) Zeke Jarvis, who's written a book. And this book, if you buy it, it's yours. You can do anything with it. You don't need to read it. You don't need to open it. But you could. The possibilities are endless. With a book, you can level out furniture. You can hit a friend. You might stay warm over a cold winter. Or, and if you really want, you can open it up and read it. And if you choose to read this book, which some have, and we officially recommend, you may find that your symptoms of boredom, listlessness, lack of motivation or any real meaning in life don't change but at least you read another book dr jarvis can you tell us a little bit about this book that you wrote contributing to our uh you know culture i'd actually recommend buying six or seven copies because uh you also can use them for killing like spiders or other bugs and you don't want to <laughs> the off after you've killed one so like six or seven copies at a time Use it to kill, you know, ants, spiders, roaches, and so on and so forth, and then just toss the book out. Um, yes, uh, I have a novel. Uh, it's called The Three of Them, and it's put out by Rising Phoenix Press. Um, and it is about uh, three uh, teen characters with disabilities. Uh, one has cerebral palsy, one is on the autism spectrum, and uh, one is hard of hearing. And um, they're going about their high school lives and um, find out that something terrible is happening in the school and have to um, come together to uh, try and negotiate the awful, awful things that are happening in the school. And is this book out right now? Can people buy it now? Yes, they can buy it now. Uh, Where can they buy it? I think I accidentally said Rising Phoenix. It is Rogue Phoenix Press, if you go to Rogue Phoenix Press, Mm. uh, or as was mentioned at the opening of the podcast if you um google me is one of multiple uh books that you'll find on the google results i believe fantastic and how much does this book cost this one is 10 um my other recent book is 15 so this novel is a real bargain i would say oh fantastic well as a as a very legal very cool special if you join our ten dollar patreon tier uh (laughs) we will purchase you the listener a copy of Dr. Jarvis's book. The three of them. 
shipping and handling not included. Yeah, okay. It would have to be the $20 Patreon level, right? Right, right. Then we'll play, pay ship, shipping, but handling is not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. We'll be rough with it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get there, just how it's going to be when it gets there is anyone's call. It'll still be together enough that you can use it to kill bugs. That's our yeah. promise. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the important part. Um, yeah. So there's a there's a theory out there. Um, there's this theory that the the New World Order, the Illuminati, or you know what have you, you know, the deep state, <clears throat> them and their satanic rituals. They're they're all part of this satanic cult, obviously. And one of the rituals that they have is. Um, using essentially the life force of the population to bring events about. And one of the, one of the quirks of this particular, um, this particular rite or ritual uh, is that they can't do things to people unless they have permission. And, you know, to get permission for something like, oh, I don't know, a worldwide pandemic is kind of hard. How do you do that, right? Um, and so what they do, what they do is they use the media. They use, um, they use movies, literature, and all that to bring it out to the world. And apparently um, the demons are okay with uh, simply buying and consuming this literature and this, this media as accepting um, and giving permission for it to actually come about. And so that's why we have... You know, people like Hillary Clinton uh, killing children, soaking in their blood, and um, and bringing about these horrific events. And you know, Dr. Jarvis, now that you are a part of the media creating fiction, um, how do you feel about joining that? Mm. Uh, it was a little weird figuring out taxes when you're getting paid in babies, but. Um... <laughs> part of the deep state they do give you the conversion rate so it it worked mm. out perfectly actually now are you allowed to talk about the adrenochrome they give you um well since uh i i guess when i came on i assumed this podcast was also part of the deep state i assume you wouldn't bring it up unless it was allowed so it means we'll it's go allowed. with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh <clears throat> We wish we were part of the deep state. That's that's yeah. the goal of this podcast. We want to join up. Yeah, we're, we're, it's just not as easy as you'd think, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, there it's, is that is that is a conspiracy that um that's why you see all of this in in the media before it happens like I am legend and um contagion leading mm-hmm. to uh to what happened here. Um and <laughs> It's always that uh, there's this incredibly competent set of people and never that it's actually incompetence that drives something like a pandemic mm. or, you know, right. other things. Yeah, I, I, I like I, the, the, the Cohen brothers approach to history, I think, is more useful, that it's a bunch of just like the dumbest of all possible options leading us to where we're at. Right. I'll I'll say, <laughs> I'll say I think that the idea of these conspiracies is actually very comforting. Like the idea of a deep state. Like our government has it so together that they're able to manipulate every aspect of our lives just kind of on a whim. Like, you know, I'm 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 okay if somebody is that put together and they've got it just that down. 
who cares if they kill a few, you know, you know, sacrifice a few babies on the side? Like they've got it figured out. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Care to comment? Well, yeah. Just, <laughs> oddly enough, yes. If there was a deep state, you know. They might function to keep things going as opposed to like driving the country into the ground. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh. That's that's what always throws me off. It's like this deep state with unlimited power and yet they choose to do this. <laughs> I, yes. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking yesterday, I knew this would never ever happen in our timeline, but you could imagine a different universe where you would have looked at what happened and his statement to his followers would be, you know, this has kind of been fucked up. You all go home. Put this energy into volunteering at a soup kitchen. Uh, you know, <laughs> help old people who are lonely. Make well, sure you have to be aware of those things first. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. But it's just yeah. that, like, when you see how much power he has and that it's used for the mm. absolute worst possible reasons, it's just, mm -hmm. you know, terrifying. Right. Mm. Well, it's like, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest solution is usually the correct one. And the simple solution here is like, he's kind of an asshole. He doesn't really know right. the actual magnitude of what he's doing. And if he did, maybe he would do things differently. But there's just not enough awareness of what he's doing and the actual impact it's having on the world to change. Yeah. Donald Trump is a really baffling figure to me. Um I mean, like, I, I don't know if I fully buy that he's an idiot or if he's just kind of a well, not reality an idiot, show but... mindset. But what what has confused me is how much and this is what I was thinking about a lot yesterday, how much he's been able to get evangelical Christians around his finger. Um, because the dude is I mean, well, I mean, actually, this is an interesting parallel to Reagan, too. Um it's, it's not quite the same, but like, you know, Reagan was the first divorced president and then somehow all the evangelicals love him despite being anti-divorce. Um, and the same thing with like Trump where he represents a lot of what they don't like about sexual morality or whatever. But yet, like, you know, the first thing they do when they storm the White House yesterday is put up this like fucking cross outside. I don't know. I, how, how did Trump become the leader of Christo fascism? That's very bizarre. I would expect that to be like a weird Franco-esque Catholic or something or the evangelical equivalent of that. Not, not a reality show star. I think but, that, um, like if you go back and read Cotton Mather's reports of the witch trial, he talks about this as being the greatest threat ever. And I think that, you know, Trump is very good about making everything either the best or the worst, the biggest and mm. most beautiful or the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, most vile. That probably feeds nicely into like their belief in and even desire for an apocalypse. So that I think yeah. is part of what he does. Well, I think all this really goes back to our branding conversation earlier. <laughs> it um, actually does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. And I've, <clears throat> I've, I've done a lot of research on this because, you know, sometimes I'll admit to myself that maybe I am a bad person and I shouldn't use this for evil. But, um, you know, I work in marketing, and so over over the last month or so, I did a lot of reading in like. Um, like the evangelical, how do you build a church um, stuff and read through a bunch of different marketing books and this and that. And, um, you know, building a brand and starting a cult's not really all that different. 
was mm. my big takeaway. Um, separately interested in cults, but that kind of tied in by itself. And so, you know, there's <laughs> there's this process um, that you follow, and it's you know it's 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 playfully named story brand, um, where you are positioning yourself as the guide in the mm. hero's journey. So your your customer is is your hero. They've got a big problem. Something is something is threatening the way that they live. There's there's a problem, there's a villain, mm. there's a guide that will help them along the way and through their own ability um, and the advice from this guide, they will overcome. And mm. Trump does a lot of branding. He does a lot of marketing. He understands this very well. And he used it extremely well in 2016 where he built that same cult following where he recognized a pain point where people were already afraid that their way of life was gonna disappear and they had no one to rally around because either all the other Republicans are too spineless or the Democrats are too evil. And so Mm. he can latch on to that and say, you know what, I agree. Your mm-hmm. your representatives are are spineless, and everybody else is evil. But I'm here to protect your way of life, and yeah. I'm not going to do it myself. But I'm going to bring I'm going to bring you guys along with it, with me on it. And yeah, so yeah, good. So there's that that connected vision, and that's why these you know I would say these things like what happened yesterday, like whether they're working you know under trump's orders or separately by themselves or just influenced by what's going on you know he empowered that through his message Mm -hmm. and that's why he has this 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 cult like elon musk has a cult yeah, I, I think I think you're framing it with like the hero's journey thing is pretty interesting because you're, you're totally right, too, that there was this sense of a need and then he, he arrives as like the guide, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it also kind of also for me makes sense that the idea that it could have been anyone, not just Trump, like, yeah, the fundamental thing was set up. It was just that Trump happened to be the one to fumble into it um, or, right. or more than fumble into it. It was more intentional than that. But you know what I mean? Well, um, and Trump had the other advantage back to like what Elon Musk does, he, he was, he was able to step into something like politics mm-hmm. and recognize that there are no rules. Yeah. Well, so, so there's that. And, and I think part of it though, is that that need is, is really fascinating to me because, because there really isn't like evangelical Christianity is not under attack really at all. Um, and, but so this is, yeah, this is going to be a bit of a reference back to like, like I was, I was double checking when God's not dead Two came out. Uh, which was a previous episode we did. Um, and yeah, that, that came out pretty nicely to line up with what I'm thinking here, which was in April of 2016, you know, during the like kind of beginnings of that election um, that, that represented kind of this cultural moment for evangelicals. Cause you know, th- they spent a lot of time over the last 10 years, segregating their art from other art, um, interacting with their own, like, uh, culture and that culture is convinced that they are on the decline, that they are under attack, mm-hmm. and so like it, it made sense to have kind of uh, Trump as like a messianic figure, kind of step in like that. That makes sense to me, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. And it really did kind of give the thing that like Christo fascism needed. Um, 
and I'm not really afraid of using that phrase anymore, but, um, you know, like this has gone from, from right wing conservatism to something kind of distinctly, um, you know, fascist, although maybe not in the thirties sense, but, but yeah, anyway, it it takes on a specific role of like Christianity is under attack and this, this like delirious idea that, that you're a minority when you're not, um, and that you need to like strike back and take control. Um, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And I mean, that segmenting off of their art and also of their news, uh, is like what Jared said. It is essentially a cult. You don't get any news from the outside don't get any exposure to any other language. And so, you know, what I say when I'm teaching comp is if you can control the terms of a debate, you control the outcome of a debate. Yes. So once they get their viewers or supporters to like only discuss an issue in one way, it's one of the things also that Trump is really good at is he never talks about policy. There's never Mm -hmm. any reference to any specific policy. He'll talk about issues, but there's no sense of like how you actually do things. So it goes back to like Trump or Elon Musk. We just assume or their followers, supporters assume that they're brilliant. So they'll have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. ISIS defeated in 30 days, right? Yeah. It, it's right. amazing. Well, doing to things see... is outside his pay grade. He doesn't right, make right. any money doing it. So. <laughs> the well, like, OK, so the cultural divide is is blowing my mind at times, too, because I, I was talking to Jared about this before the show. About something I ran into on Twitter that I'm still just like jeering at, like, um, which was so real quick after the um, I'm blanking on her name, the the person that the one person that died at the uh, coup attempt yesterday, uh, Ashley Babbitt. Um, the New York Post did this thing where they went, uh, Ashley Babbitt was once hit with property destruction charges, which was pretty like like jarring because the New York post does this all the time. Whenever uh, a black person gets shot by the police, uh, they'll kind of step in and be like, well, they did drugs one time, but Mm -hmm. now they're doing this to like a, you know, a, a, a Trumpy kind of MAGA white woman. Um, but the, the top comment on Twitter, I think it's been deleted since, but they were like, why does, why does the New York post do this to Ashley Babbitt, but they don't do this to George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs> and I, and uh, you know they got spammed with people showing all the headlines that had come out around that time that were like, "What the fuck are you talking about, dude?" Ooh. But I'm still like thinking about that, where I'm like, "What what world are are you in that you do not see that that you think of the mm-hmm. post as this like liberal <laughs> Antifa?" <laughs> and I yeah I have something for Twitter news that's in that ballpark too but i'm just fascinated by that because you you get to a point where you're you're so cut off that when i see you show up on my twitter it feels like an alien just landed i'm like who the hell are you're not speaking the same language (laughs) right it's like when my mom called biden a leftist yeah yes yeah (laughs) jesus wait i'm sorry yeah oh yeah oh man well, there's there's this beautiful thing that social media allows where we can create our own news cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is rampant on on really both sides, like being involved in left Twitter and then having a far right component to my family life. Um, like each side is on a totally different Internet. They're mm-hmm. reading entirely different, opposite, um, contradicting things. And basically, it's it's like you get to self-select uh, 
everything. So if there's something that challenges what you believe, instead of confronting that, you can block it. And I see that all the time on left Twitter, where it's like, ah, I don't like what he said. I'm going to block him. Um, yeah. And so we've created these these really nice little echo chambers that are literally designed, you know, billions of dollars of research designing algorithms to show us only things that we like. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is, that is the most harmful aspect of social media yeah. and the, the leading reason why it needs to be like entirely abolished. <laughs> so, I, mean, I don't know about that. I would go back to saying like, I know we were joking before about STEM, but like this is exactly mm-hmm. why we need not just STEM and in particular, not just vocational STEM yes. is that we have no model for actual civil debate. Right. Every mm-hmm. debate exchange we have is screaming at each other or I'm going to hang up on you or I'm going to mute you or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's no model for people to have like, disagreements anymore and some of it does definitely come from uh we're reading such different media that we have complete you know we live in literally different worlds some of it is Mm -hmm. that you know america is still a very segregated country uh and Mm -hmm. some of it is that like if you're a kid and all you see is the leaders are screaming at each other your understanding is that's how you're supposed to engage in politics so like there's no model for saying how do we have a, a meaningful disagreement Right. And I think that there's a feedback loop effect, too, because as you're, you know, if you're starting out a a moderate or a Democrat and you're jumping on on and you're getting all of your info online, the stuff that's going to get brought to the top is always going to be the extreme and controversial stuff. And over Mm -hmm. time, you'll get yourself to a point where you're only reading extreme and controversial stuff on one side until it seems Mm -hmm. not so extreme and controversial anymore. Um, and I think that's, that's part of why we're seeing such huge growth in both, uh, you know, in both in the far left and far right, where Mm -hmm. the way that we consume and filter our information, um, prioritizes basically sensational views. And then Mm -hmm. over time through a feedback loop essentially amplifies the voices uh, in a specific area for your feed. So then you feel like that's normal. So you feel like everybody thinks this way. And there's a, a huge group effect where in reality, it's just a, a very small segment of the population, but it's you know huge online. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree that that's like right. systemically, that's how it works. I do think in terms of both sides that there is a difference mm-hmm. between, between the two extremes. Oh no, a hundred percent, yeah, no. I, I didn't mean to to put them on an equal field in in that way, but I think that the way that some people can get both places can be sim like the system behind yes. it is similar. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to be clear, there's definitely a difference between the sides. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you 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 do see me as completely equivalent to a Nazi. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, but that's for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. It's more the swastika tattoo that you have. <laughs> I don't have a swastika tattoo. <laughs> yeah, you've got several. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, you, every time, it's going to be a maze. Th- this is one it's of those still... things I'm, I'm trying to cap right now and say I don't, I don't, because this is one of those clips 10 years from now <laughs> when I'm trying to get a job that will get pulled out of this, and they'll be like, well, I don't know, his co-host is convinced he has a lot of swastika tattoos in hidden places. Well... I, I'm old enough to remember when, like, the term Nazi was kind of a dead metaphor and didn't refer to actual Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Like, well, I remember, like, even when I watched Blues Brothers for the first time and just mm-hmm. being shocked that there were still Nazis, like, when they made Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well... The other thing about uh, social media that's fascinating is um, getting lots of running into lots of very obscure, weird views, like fragmented. Because the example yeah. I was going to say is I remember you and I at one point making our political views on Facebook when we first got Facebook's like monarchism, uh-huh. monarchism, feudalism. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And being like, that's crazy. And it's funny because nobody would believe that. And now that I've spent a lot of time in Catholic Twitter, I'm like, oh, that's not a joke. There are definitely people that want that. (laughs) I don't know if you watch Better Call Saul, but the episode where the guys go from the union and Saul gets paid in like Walter Bucks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need you to help me start my own country. <laughs> oh my god! I'm glad we found a way to actually address the uh, the storming of the Capitol yesterday because I was like wondering how we were going to bring that up. Even right. how are we going to slide that in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if it's going to be about uh, podcast about conspiracy th- theories, it's hard to not talk about it. So. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Well, yeah. It's amazing that you've got the like the the conservatives now split almost equally between you know <laughs> patriots and antifa. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's like that's what uh, somebody was saying. They'd like were on parlor. They were looking at it, and it was like fifty percent of it was people going, "Well, we all know everybody that raided the Capitol yesterday was members of Antifa," and the other fifty percent are people taking selfies at the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think of of any time this would be the time to wear masks, but yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's what I, uh, that's what I always said about BLM is most people wore masks at BLM when I was down there and it wasn't just because of the virus. It was a thing to do because of cops, but, uh, yeah, I guess the, the anti-maskers kind of, kind of screwed themselves over there, huh? Going back to branding, I saw an article this summer that said, uh, if you wear juggalo makeup, it'll fool facial recognition software. <laughs> I guess yeah. I've been doing it right this whole time. <laughs> Unrelated. You guys remember the whole clown thing a while back? Yeah, we bring that up every once in a while on this show. I'm... And we always bring it up that way where we're like, hey, do you remember there was this thing that happened? Well, and I think that's important. It's important that we not forget that the, for the 2016 like weeks, clown sightings, people were concerned about clowns coming in and, and killing, killing us. And I... even Eureka. Yes, I spent half a class explaining to the students that we were locking down only because if we didn't and something happened, it would be the end of Eureka College, that Mm -hmm. the chances that a clown would actually show up were infinitesimal. And they kept saying, like, (laughs) but why would they send the email if they weren't going to follow through? And I kept explaining that, like, no, (laughs) you know, 
the point is to get someone to do something. The point is not that you're going to follow through on this. And they kept being like, but wouldn't that mean that the person turned out to be foolish when they didn't show up? And it was really, you know, <laughs> it was like an idiocracy when you were saying, um, well, there's electrolytes in Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> electrolytes are what plants crave. Yes, right. Yeah. No, oh, that was great because that night, um, that night there were actually groups in, of students walking around campus with like baseball bats and stuff. <laughs> and um, see, that's what I told them not to do because I said two groups of bat carrying students are going to run into each other and you're going to beat <laughs> out of each other. And then the person who sent the clown thread is going to laugh at both of you. So, yeah, I will say I was in a group that night, but the group I was in was walking to the bar. So, <laughs> I'm trying to do the math to see if you were of age then. I was not. That was actually the first <laughs> time I uh, had been served. It was great because I was served in a bar um, underaged. And then my friend, um, who was of age, immediately got carded. <laughs> <laughs> so, they tried. They tried. Jared, probably you ordered with confidence, so it goes back to that stealing the piano thing. Oh, that's exactly. So true, I though. I will say I've I've started doing a lot of things with confidence, and it's worked out very well. Um, yeah, <laughs> people do not understand how little I know. I, yeah, I I don't think I really ever get carded for cigarettes or anything, and I think it's just because I know what I'm getting. But if I came in and I was like, "Can I get a?" the long ones then yeah, yeah. that would get carded you know like well i just have a clipboard with me all the time <laughs> walk into the bar with a clipboard <laughs> actually what i what i did before is i just had a camera and people will let you go anywhere when you have a camera uh, which that's is, true it seems self-defeating because you've got a camera but <laughs> Yeah, no, they'll just they'll just let you go places. So that it's, was well, it's a kind of it's a kind of officialness because exactly we live we live in an era where, like, yeah, photography is like a big part of any event, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, 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 it worked well. Yeah. <laughs> Until I actually had to like film stuff and stuff that wasn't as fun. But... <laughs> you created your own prison. I did, yeah. I did, and I've yet to escape from it. So. <laughs> Work in progress. It's all been downhill. <laughs> it's all been downhill. Well, you were the star of one commercial, though, right? Yeah, you I, did was, that. I was. I um, was. Yeah, pretty recently. Nice. So, basically famous. Yeah, it's basically. Yeah, multiple people in a very specific <laughs> niche have seen my face. Yes, at least three people have seen. Famous. I, uh, I do actually, I do get people from the industry who recognize me from the video, though, which is weird. Oh, that's well, very I'll have weird. a few people be like, huh, weren't you in that ad? And I'll be like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you sign yeah. autographs about it? or No, no. No, I usually send those in advance. <laughs> <laughs> See, that goes back to branding. If you just started handing out your autographs, everyone would assume you're famous. There right. you go. Right. Dude, I what should start it? doing that. There's like a million videos on like Instagram or wherever of like people going to airports and just at, going around. They'll have some people with cameras asking if they want a photo with 
this person and pretend they're a celebrity and people like pretend that they know who they are and it's like oh my god yeah i want a picture with you and they're just somebody i yeah i think i should try to do this with um getting press credentials for this Mm. podcast at various (laughs) events i bet i I could do it i mean it's technically media uh, it it is more than technically media. We under under the Constitution, they cannot require us to get any sort of license to call that's, ourselves um, a media that's, company. That's the reputation Chapo got, where they would just ask for press credentials to like GOP events and then just do acid at it. Like <laughs> well, I'm I mean, sure we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially what uh, Hunter S. Thompson did in the. Uh, that's true, but he did have he Stones. did have the Rolling Stone on his side, so that. Well, but I mean, at the same time, it was like the Rolling Stones for politics, and they even you know kicked him out on a few things, like they wouldn't give him press credentials because the Rolling yeah, Stones. Let's not get into Hunter S. Thompson. We literally have an episode. That's true. <laughs> Jared, you go first. Give me a second. Oh, man. I was still thinking of mine, too. Oh, okay. Um, media's bad. I don't know. Mm, interesting. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Something about the segregation of evangelical media kind of created the situation we're in right now politically. So you're saying that the God's Not Dead movies caused a coup in the no, Capitol building. No, no, no. I'm saying the Left Behind books did. <laughs> <laughs> And I could defend Veggie that Tales opinion. Is directly responsible. Hey, hey, hey! Veggie Tales is going to come up here shortly. Actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have it prepped. All right, Zeke. How about you? I I had two takeaways. Uh, the first is that everyone should buy six to seven copies of my book, and <laughs> the second was uh, the big revelation about uh, Josiah's swastika tattoo. That was the other. Thing. <laughs> I don't have a swastika tattoo. <laughs> All right. Uh, I would say that uh, my takeaways of this episode is that Elon Musk is a genius who can do no wrong. Um, <laughs> Trump is uh, just a, a master at being president, and Josiah has multiple swastika t- tattoos. <laughs> I do not have he, in fact, has one swastika tattoo for every one of Dr. Jarvis's books that he's going to buy. <laughs> Which is quite a few. I like that that Dr. Jarvis has met me today and already figured out that it's funny to dogpile me. I don't <laughs> I don't like that that's <laughs> I mean I, I think that there's there's maybe some legitimate research to be done here. What about you? What just about makes me people leads want to, to this happening? <laughs> I don't really care that much. It just happens. I, I don't know. I, you bring it up a lot for someone that doesn't care that much. Ah, uh, it, it's just because it's interesting. Okay, anyway, let's move <laughs> to the end segments. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that anymore. Yeah, we're not talking about um, that anymore. <laughs> Patreon. So we've got a fun bit that we do um, where we have our guests do an ad for our Patreon. Yeah. So go for it. <laughs> 
sure you could give money to a soup kitchen or you could give money to uh, wounded warriors or something like that. But, uh, you know, why wouldn't you instead give it to very legal, very cool uh, Patreon? To keep quality entertainment like this uh, coming to you in podcast form. That's why you should uh, be a patron. Fantastic. I think that sums it up. I think so. We are more important than the poor. I was not. I was gonna say, you know what? You could you could donate your labor at Whoa, like a Catholic, Catholic worker or something, and while you're souping out soup, uh, you can you can listen to this podcast. Media and entertainment is more important than helping people. That is not true. No. <laughs> Media and entertainment is a form of helping people, Jared. That's right. Very legal, very cool <laughs> is the vaccine. <laughs> um, let's see. Do we want to do... That wasn't what I was going to do, but I guess we're doing Twitter news now. Okay, fine. I was, I was going to ask if we had any iTunes reviews... emails Jared has a soundboard um I was gonna ask if you had any iTunes reviews okay um Twitter news let's see what if I can remember what I found here uh Uh, let's skip that let's just go straight to the veggie tales so um got our tweet here from today and it comes from Bill Vischer and he says, this is actually a good take. I don't usually post good takes. But he says, watching protesters invade the Capitol with Christian flags and a giant Jesus 2020 banner. Lawmakers are in hiding because of marauding Christians? Question mark. Anyone still unsure Christian nationalism is an issue? Question mark, question mark. I'm not say, sending this in because it's a bad take. It's actually like a fine take. It's This This is Phil Vischer. This is the creator of, of the hit Christian uh, animation show Veggie Tales. And the funniest thing about this tweet was watching it float around on far-right people on my Facebook's feed, now accusing the guy from Veggie Tales of being an Antifa super soldier. And I, I did think that was incredibly funny. <laughs> I buy it, honestly. <laughs> Any conservative at this point, if you sat them down and asked them what Antifa actually was, like, I know such a bizarre combination of contradictory things that like, who knows? Who knows what they actually think it is? It's kind of actually a fun thing to do, though. Like you get such different and colorful answers from different people. um, Yeah. And like some of them, some of them think that it's just like this this whole organized deal that's running, um, you know, basically running at the same level as like some deep state conspiracy. It's, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Especially I have a lot of, I I have a handful of black block friends. Um, they're not organized. I'll let you know that at all. (laughs) (laughs) They just kind of show up. Like (laughs) that's, that's what they do. I, uh, uh, yeah, so I got that. I got another Twitter news, I suppose. Let me see if I can find that. Um, that's just a bad, uh, actually it's a bad lefty take. So there we go. We, we hit both sides here. 
It's a screenshot a of a bad podcast. Take. Uh, so, so what it was is someone shared a picture of the um, of the protest, and a guy's wearing a Camp Auschwitz T-shirt, um, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not throwing the word around. We mean Nazis." And then someone showed up and was like, "Okay, so my initial reaction was to be as disgusted by this as everyone else, <laughs> but then someone was like." Do we know if this man is actually a survivor? And now I'm wondering if anybody has any info on that. I I Yikes. don't I don't think a Holocaust survivor would be wearing a sweatshirt that says Camp Auschwitz. He also looks much too young. Much too young for that. Yeah, that's another But also doesn't the bottom say work makes freedom? And so like you wouldn't <laughs> So it does. You wouldn't have a concentration camp motto if you were a survivor, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many problems with it, but all I could think of was imagining someone wearing a t-shirt that says, survived the Holocaust, and all I got was this lousy sweatshirt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. This is a terrible take. Okay, that's that's all I got for Twitter news, I suppose. So. Okay, all right. I'm kind of surprised you haven't done parlor news. I, I thought I was expecting that. Like, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Welcome to parlor news God this one that. is uh courtesy of brie so she, she sent me this the other day um this is in response to to an article on the protest yesterday unplugged backin says these were clearly antifa slash blm rioters who disguised themselves as patriots while they knew the media was watching this has been their plan for a while now that's um, good I think that's Dan true. Smots asks if uh, Kanye has a plastic fetish. <laughs> um, Lisa asks, is Trump giving up now? Why doesn't he use the Insurrection Act? Linda Rivet simply says, help, please, no spaces. Um, oh, this one's fun. California... Sugar says, I'm more concerned about our own people who stabbed us in the back than the Democrats. That's smart. Yeah. On the right track there. Uh, DPTZ714 says, 100 days. That's all I give Biden. Pelosi will have him declared incompetent or he'll get sick. Then we'll have it. Not my President Harris and her henchman second in command, Pelosi. Um, The communist cabal, they call them. Yes. Yes, both well-known uh, communists. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say it's uh, it's all pretty much the same from there. They've got about ten words they use, and they put them in different orders. Yeah. And that's parlor. Dude, so loud. Dude, that is so ridiculously loud. <laughs> I... <laughs> well, that's you know, to I... 
that's to jar people so that you can play the deep state, uh, you know, subliminal <laughs> messages underneath that really loud music. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, do we have any iTunes reviews or emails? We do not, or any but we do have another five star rating. Uh, we are up. We are up one five star rating, but we did not get another review. Um, yeah, despite and, and, despite our best efforts, we are still at five out of five stars. Oh no, that's amazing. But we no emails. Okay, all right. No emails. So people aren't sending us emails. All right. Remarkable, fine. right? I know. Of our dozens of listeners. I know. Oh, wait. Uh, just an email from Twitch. Yeah, that sounds right. Lots of emails from Twitch. Yeah, I, I we'll need to get that. that. I, yeah, we'll use that at some point. Well, I guess that means uh, plugs and we're done. Nice. Nice. Actually, can I just go back to the parlor thing for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go. I was thinking last night about the fact that the next time Ted Cruz runs for president, who main... Uh, claims to fame are going to be that he shut down the government and that he tried to invalidate legitimate votes. And like, that will be what he runs on. Somebody wants to control the government who's trying to actively take down the government. Well, let's not forget. He also liked that porn photo on Twitter. That's true. That was a claim. He also was the Zodiac killer. That's a claim to fame too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's also won America's most punchable face five years running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad's a big cruise guy. He's a big, uh, yeah. Times. Good times. And he started in Top Gun. <laughs> uh, well, I would like to plug... Um, the the tabletop not the 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 game um dialect uh it's a fun interesting uh language building type rpg game i don't know how to explain it it's good though it was really fun i actually have owned it for several years and finally got the chance to play it recently and i highly recommend it so on to you jared all right i would like to plug that song that uh that dr jarvis played as with a music video in one of the first days of class, freshman year, that I've had stuck in my head on and off for about six or seven years, I guess, and um, don't know what it's called, don't know who wrote it, have very vague memories of the music video itself, but it's haunted me for a long time. Um, It it is Bonnie Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, I See a Darkness, but it's the upbeat version. It's not his sort of slower version. Perfect. All right. Well, that's solved. (laughs) All right. So Jillian Hefner, oddly enough, became a big fan of his after I played that in class. Yeah. Well, I think that I could have, I just never remembered what is, what the name of the artist was, but then I never like asked either. So I've just kind of let it fester for nearly a decade now. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that's your takeaway from today's episode. <laughs> so I'd lo- I'd like to plug Bonnie Prince Billy and his song I See a Darkness and the music video that we watched in class. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, on to you, Dr. Jarvis. Well, uh, 
so that my other publisher doesn't get mad at me, I'll plug Antisocial Norms, which is from uh, Closet Skeleton Press. Great. What's it about? It's a collection of short stories, um, just sort of weird things. Like in one of them, um, this guy's waiting in a doctor's office and somebody else in the doctor's office face keeps falling off. And so the guy is like mm. trying to not be rude. So he doesn't want to ask about it, but he also like is sort of annoyed that this guy won't just leave the waiting room when his face keeps falling off. So it's sort of, you know, like we were talking about before how people are very segmented and there's not a lot of empathy um, mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. That sounds really good. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, we did it. We did it. This has been the episode. This is is the end. uh, Oops. uh, Wrong one. That's There There we go. There it is. There it is. Well. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and wrap this up and just say thank you so much for listening to Very Legal, Very Cool, uh, an episode about two published authors and Josiah. Uh, the theme music is a drum beat. There's a uh, garage band loop that I stuck a drum beat behind. Um, and our Twitter account is still our still is locked, but you can still find it at Be Legal, Be Cool Pod. Also uh, at you can Very find Legal, us on Very Parlor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the show, folks. And Dr. Jarvis, is there any anywhere where people can follow you or follow your work or oh, anything yeah. like that? An email list, um, newsletter? Uh, my uh, website is zeke.jarvis. That's D-O-T, not an actual dot. Zeke.jarvis uh, at wordpress.com. Um, my Twitter handle is at Z-E-K-J-A-R. And yeah, I'm on Facebook. Nice. Fantastic. So send him a friend request. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm, I'm about to do that. <laughs> <Getting there. laughs> Maybe I All should right. send him one. 